welcome to the Kindness Chef podcast with your host Harpal Dutt. This is a longer episode called Sitting with a Different Expert. Each time I have a longer and deeper conversation about kindness where we serve you kindness and give you recipes to nourish your mind, body and soul. Hello, welcome Dr. Mark Makurgo. Um, thank you so much for joining me on the Kindness Chef podcast, where I'm serving an A to Z of recipes to nourish people's mind, body and soul. And uh, I invited you today for us to talk about X, which is uh, where I'm cheating, where I've called it Philo with the big X, Xenia, Philoxenia, um, which we'll talk more about as we get going on in the episode, um, which is about, you know, a love of strangers through generous hospitality. We'll go more into what this word means. And I've invited you today because you um, have written books about being a host and host leadership. And I looked at some of your bio. You have a, you know, very interesting um, bio. You know, you're not just, you started off at your career as a nuclear physicist. Um, talented musician. I've only picked a few things here. Performance poet, scientist. Um, uh, I wonder how would you like to introduce yourself? Because there's so many. So hello, Harpel. Hello. Very nice to be with you. And thank you for inviting me to join this podcast, which is a really fascinating series. So I'd like to congratulate you and acknowledge you on having a really nice idea to pull, to pull together an A to Z of, of kindness. I think that's a marvellous topic. And I love the way you've cheated a little bit to get <laughs> philoxenia, uh, this kindness to strangers, hospitality to strangers into it, but it's a really good topic. And it's a topic that we don't talk nearly enough about. So I'm thoroughly looking forward to uh, joining you today. Uh, in terms of how I would introduce myself, these days I tend to put author as my first uh, kind of thing in the biography because I've been doing a lot of writing, particularly uh, over the last couple of years. But um, but before that, even um, I've been writing. I've now done six books, many 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 articles, yeah. uh, including one on the next uh, the next generation of solution focused practice, which just came out with Routledge, uh, and also a book on organizational change called Hosting Generative Change, where we apply. The ideas around hosting to the way you bring people together for organizational change and my theme in that book is that the way you bring people together has a big impact on what happens when they do come together and if you can bring them together well then good things may well happen no guarantees but you're, you're tilting the you know the table in your favor whereas if you bring them together badly you reduce the chances quite considerably <laughs> of something useful happening. So I think this acting as a host uh, is a really key thing in, in organisations, uh, in communities, and just in relationships in general. And I'm, uh, it's fascinating when I'm looking forward to talking with you about it today. Yeah. And um, I, I had your first book on solution. I don't know if this was your first book about solution-focused work about, I think, 10, 15 years ago. Um, how uh, the, very, you... the, very, the very first one was called The Solutions Focus. Yes. That's nearly 20 years ago now with Paul Z. Jackson. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure which uh, one. One of them I have. That's still selling. Yeah. Uh, well, they're all still selling, but The Solutions Focus sells uh, upwards of a thousand copies a year still, 20 years on, which is a, is a really good result. And people are yes. still discovering it. 
Um, and that book is about taking the ideas from solution-focused therapy, which I discovered nearly 30 years ago, and bringing them into the coaching and organizational space. And if people don't know, there's lots of information about it online these days. But the idea basically is that it's much better to focus on what you want than trying to fix what's wrong. So don't try and fix what's wrong. Look at what you want. Find what's working and then build on it using small steps. That's the 10 second version of the solutions focus. And it's surprisingly powerful, uh, particularly the build up with small steps piece. Making small steps is much feels much easier than having a big plan and a big challenge. So yeah. you may have a big hope and a big goal, but then combine the big hope with the small steps. And uh, thinking big and small together is a theme that I'm enjoying continuing to explore. And I think it's uh, it's a, it's a, an idea where these two things come together, the big and the small, whereas most of the time we sit in the middle level of kind of abstraction. Uh, whereas if you want to be creative and you want to make progress, get bigger and smaller all at the same time, I would mm -hmm. say. And would you say is solution focus pro approach, is this a part of positive psychology? Uh, no, <laughs> quite distinctively not. Uh, so positive psychology, a marvelous field, is about making psychology more interesting, interested in what, uh, what helps people to function healthily, which is great. It's a very positive step. But psychology is a science, and you're trying in the psychology of the, the uh, in the science of positive psychology, the riches are trying to find what helps most people most of the time. In solution focus, we don't care a, a jot about what helps most people most of the time. What we want to find is on each individual case, what helps this person right now? So it's coming from the other end, if you like. We don't have any general conclusions other than a few methodological guidelines. Uh, so each, each set of solution-focused coaching or, or organizational change is an individual project starting from the very beginning. And how did you see the power of this 30 years ago? <laughs> well, I came across it, it was in a therapy context. And uh, I, I came across uh, a guy called James Wilk in London who'd written a book about brief therapy. It wasn't quite solution-focused therapy, but I was interested. I read his book on holiday in 1993, and I still have the copy, which is full of all sorts of underlinings, exclamation marks, yes, 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 scribbled in the margins. And I came back <laughs> absolutely thinking, wow, this is so crunchy. This is so much better than anything. I'd done an MBA at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was interested in organisation change. I was already a, f a professional facilitator, but I thought, wow, there's something in this that if managers and facilitators and coaches could get their hands on it, they could do something really good. So I set to learning it, and I learned it as a therapist first because that's all there was in those days, and then wrote uh, with Paul Jackson the first business book Mm -hmm. about it and uh, you know that life was never the same again <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, just another question I'm interested like how do you work with people when you know we have a negativity bias when they really don't want to like do you just not work with them if they're no 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 you, every... how 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 do you help people that are just like no I that's <laughs> in about the solutions you can be What's very working? patient and very open those are the two things. You, uh, yeah, you, you be very patient. You know, sometimes it takes people, people want to tell you about their problems. They want to tell you how tough their life has been. 
and and you better believe it because it's uh, you you don't want to say now nah, that's nonsense uh you may be thinking that but <laughs> you don't want to say that you have to be very open and very patient and also very acknowledging that's the other thing and you know, people want to tell you how rubbish their life has been for the last little while uh, or indeed the last long while then you sit there and you say wow that sounds awful my goodness me i'm so sorry to hear that so what would you like your life to be like Mm-hmm. what is it you want better in your life and in the end they will come around and answer it and there's the real balance this is one of the skills of the work that doesn't people don't often notice is that there's a balance between the acknowledging piece well i'm hearing that your life has been rubbish and progress piece so what would you like to be a little better in your life mm-hmm. and people you know, can with patience will always answer the second question in the end Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you start to move gradually. Don't try and go faster than they do. That's one of my big coaching tips. If yes. the coach is more keen on change than the client, then you end up dragging them <laughs> along by the hair. And that's not good for either of you. Yeah, so much so better to kind of lead from behind a little bit mm-hmm. and encourage gently and kind of go along with them. And you, so it's more like walking together than you, the coach leading the way. And how did you then um, get so interested in this idea about host and a metaphor for leadership? Well, I can tell you that very exact moment. It was a kind of epiphany moment uh, when I was in a seminar about family therapy and uh, the guy running the seminar, German guy called Matthias Varga, who is a very good friend, said, there's an old Arabic proverb. He said, the host is both the first and the last. The host is both the first and the last. And I thought, well, that's the leader, isn't it? The leader is both the first and the last. Is hosting and leadership connected? And I stopped listening to his very interesting (laughs) seminar about family therapy and began scribbling frantically in my notebook ideas about heroes and servants and hosts and how they're different and uh, how hosting involves a combination of stepping forward and stepping back. And that was in 2003. And I went away from this seminar with my little notes about hosting and hero and servant and went to try and find a book about how to be a great host. And there wasn't one. Um, There were books about how to have a tea party, (laughs) uh, which is a very limited form of hosting. And there were books about how to run hotels, which is a different form of hosting, professionalized hosting. But there was no overall book about what does it mean to be a host? And so I set out to write it, being the kind of guy that I am. And it took 10 years to put it together with going around, interviewing people who were hosts who I thought acted like leaders and like restaurateurs and hoteliers and leaders who I thought acted like hosts. And so some of them I got to talk to, some of them I knew, some of them I kind of observed and trying to figure out what they did. And uh, with my co-author, Helen Bailey, we pulled this mass of stuff together into six roles and four positions for a host. Six roles a host does when they need to be done and four positions where they stand uh, at different moments to get different kind of perspectives on a situation. And that book is called Host, Six New Roles of Engagement. Mark McCurgo and Helen Bailey, and it's out there. It's out there now. And people are still, of course, discovering it. It came out in 2014. People are still discovering it. Uh, it's very early days yet, but I'm very pleased with 
what we discovered and what we put together it was a really new piece of work yeah uh, and it succeeded i think in in this combination of the big and the small that i was talking about earlier there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's a big picture of hosting which is a kind of really high level concept uh, about how you engage with other people in the host guest relationship and then there's all the well how do you do it and and that's a matter of tiny details and little small things that you actually do to bring this big high level relationship into being and into fruition and uh, uh, so i'm really enjoying continuing to explore the ways in which the details and the big picture interact and hosting is something you do mm -hmm. you know people talk about the, the the value of being i'm nothing against that but okay you want to be a host fine but now what are you going to do um and if action, you talk to the action people orientated well, action-oriented, but also detail-oriented. There's no good saying, I'm a great host, and then ignoring your guests completely uh, <laughs> in favour of, of yourself. Um, you have, as a host, as we'll say in the, in the, in the, in when we come to the Philoxenia, you put your, the others first. Mm -hmm. That's always your job. Um, and you have to balance that with looking after yourself too, of course. Um, but there's this, this sense of practicality that I really like. You can't live host hosting at a level of theory you have to do it in practice as well and it's good to have the theory and the yes. concepts but you also then need to be able to put it into practice with other people for real and it's like solution focused coaching in that regard there's there's there are concepts but then you need to sit down and construct a conversation moment by moment step by step utterance by utterance and that's where the change happens the transformation the practical aspect of doing i think so and and the change happens i think in some ways gradually mm -hmm. and in other ways there's a moment when you realize oh we've come a long way since we started and this so this relationship i think doesn't get created with a big bang yes it sort of gradually comes into being but then suddenly you realize that something is there that wasn't there before and you weren't quite sure of the exact moment it arrived but things are definitely different now than they were you know a few minutes or a few hours ago uh, and i think that's really fascinating um so uh, i'm not looking for aha moments i'm looking for sort of drip 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 ooh moments as i say <laughs> yeah. uh, which is you know, where, where you've done some very small things but but nonetheless things have been transformed but nobody's quite sure at which exact moment it happened yeah, so slowly, slowly, subtly, and not some big kind of change thrown onto people. It's like bringing exactly. them with you. Yeah, what, exactly. what would you say is your strength? Because um, I feel like you're a very intelligent person and you're, you're bringing these complicated things and making them quite simple. So you do a lot of research. Is this one of your strengths, how you... Yeah, I think I suppose one of my strengths is a, they call it a synthesizer somewhere. If you go and look at some of the Gallup strengths, someone who can bring stuff together in a new way. Mm -hmm. And I love it when I get a little sense of a new possibility. Uh, and, and, and there's this moment where you go and Google it. And this is what I did after the host thing in 2003. I Googled hosting and there was really nothing. And I, and I get so excited at that moment. I think, oh, there's a thing here. There's a thing here that nobody maybe has thought about. And I can, 
and I can dig into it. I really, really enjoy that moment. If I Google it and there's a million web pages, I go, you know, that's not nearly so interesting. But if I, and then the same happened with um, my latest initiative, Village in the City, which is applying host leadership uh, and solution focus to micro local community building. And uh, in the middle of the lockdown, I thought that the future is going to be more local than we thought. And I have some skills here that could be useful to people who want to create better neighborhoods. And again, went and Googled it. And in that way, there wasn't very much. There's lots of stuff around community development, but nobody was bringing that particular piece to the table. So I spent the last year doing that. But I do love, as you can see, I'm kind of a generalist in a way. You know, I'm a scientist. I'm yes. still a bit of a scientist. Uh, I'm a musician. I've done poetry. I've done organizing. I've been involved with Sunday Assembly, which is a kind of non-religious yeah. church. and church for people who don't go to church, but who can benefit from that kind of community. Um, I've written. I've, uh, I've made art. Uh, I do a little bit of screen printing occasionally. Uh, I love to travel. I love to eat. Um, you know, uh, I'm quite a good quite a good cook I think on a good day uh, I enjoy all of that so I, I love bringing different angles on things together and sometimes that turns into a load of conceptual nonsense but I've learned over the years to to kind of turn the conceptual nonsense into something that's usable I think yes practical and, yeah and so I, I hope that my books do that they present a big idea but then they put it into really practical detail so you can actually get on with it and uh going back to you know the aha moment of the i think it was an arabic quote that you heard about yes. the guest is the first or no the, the host, host is the host is the first, is both first, the first and, the and the last um did you look into um the indian like indians believe that the guest is god and this idea about um you know when when someone comes to your house they treat them like as if they're god I do. Yes, yes. And, and there's variations on that idea. In Christianity, um, there are, uh, in a monastery, there are rules about you, when you answer the door to a stranger, you have to treat them as the risen Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if, the, if Christ ever does rise again, he will not arrive in a Rolls Royce and gold beard and everything. He will come as a bedraggled stranger. And therefore, you have to treat the bedraggled stranger uh, as the risen Christ. Now, I, I'm not Christian, but I, I can see how that works, though. This kind of giving respect to the other yes. is at the heart of this. This giving respect and, and space and acknowledgement and security and food and shelter, that's the practical stuff, to others, even if they don't look as if they deserve it, <laughs> to use a horrible phrase, yes. is at the heart of hospitality. Uh, and, and, and it, I was just going to say that in the course of researching the book, I realized that hospitality is in every spiritual tradition. It's in every cultural tradition. There, every cultural tradition has something to say about hospitality to guests. Uh, and even in, in places which are very kind of warlike, they look warlike. So for example, the uh, if you go to the the um, um, uh, people in the jungles of Borneo, who we used to think of as headhunters, you know, the, some of these tribes there who have a reputation for for violence, 
uh, to to strangers. They only have, have a reputation. They only do violence on strangers if the strangers don't respect their <laughs> their land and 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 their ways of doing things. Um, uh, and so so this and everyone will be hospitable. Sometimes you have to approach them in the right way yes. to do that. Um, but but it's a it's a thing that is shot through humanity. Um, and I think we need to reclaim it a little bit. Yes. Maybe we can. But we've forgotten a little bit about um, how. Yes, we've forgotten. We've forgotten a lot about it. And and <laughs> and in a way, that hospitality has been industrialized and commercialized. In yes. And yeah. So back in the you know hundreds and thousands of years ago, when you met people in the desert or in the tundra when the going was tough, they had a hospitality tradition, which was that if you met a stranger, you must offer them shelter, you must offer them food and drink. Uh, and you must offer them that before you even ask who they are or where they're going. Because the hospitality cannot be contingent on you liking them. It's a matter of mutual survival, that this hospitality function happens. Uh, and so they developed a culture, people who lived in those times and in those tough places, where you always offered hospitality to a stranger, uh, no matter who they were, even if they were your enemy. You, for a while anyway, a limited period, it was your duty as a human being to offer them hospitality. Uh, it was not an unlimited offer, uh, and you would expecting, you'd be expected to move on in a matter of perhaps a, a couple of days or something. But hospitality developed in the early stages of humanity when, when there was nothing in the way of holiday inns and McDonald's's and all of this stuff that we have now. Uh, the only way to get food was either kill it yourself or be fortunate to come across someone who already had some and they would share it with you. Yes. Uh, and uh, in those places, in the desert and the steppes and the tundra and the plains, hospitality traditions often survive. If you go out into the desert in Egypt, which I did, and talk to the nomads there, they, 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 they absolutely have this running in their veins, this, these traditions of hospitality, and they survive mostly intact. Uh, but here, I'm, in, I'm sitting in the United Kingdom today, in Scotland, um, and you, uh, uh, you know, the, the meeting strangers, it's not something that happens very much because there are people to look after the strangers. There are hotels, there are pubs, there are restaurants, there are, there are all sorts of apparatus, formal apparatus that are there. And so in a way, strangers don't need our help in the same way. But I think that there's a lot to be said for starting to reclaim some of that uh, hospitality culture. And you mentioned when we were talking about this before in Greece, Certainly in some parts of Greece, they, this is very strong still. Often in the, in the more remote parts, uh, people will still very much invite you around their table if you, if you stumble in as a stranger. Yeah, it's happened to me. I've been offered coffee, a meal. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of philoxenia. Mm -hmm. um, how, how would you define kindness? Ah. <laughs> Oof. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question and a big question. <laughs> um, kindness is to do with... Uh, asking people how they would like to be treated seems to me to be important. Because mm -hmm. you can be kind on your own terms, which means doing things 
that you would like to have done to you. And that's probably all right. But the more interesting thing is to help to help people in a way that they want to be helped. Um, and I, through we've had um, Black Lives Matter and things like that. And friends of mine from Afro-American people in the US have said, no, this is, the thing to say is, how would you like to be treated? And then treat them like that. So I think that is kindness. Um, and rather than assume that you know how people want to be treated and then do that anyway. This is, a, in a jokey example, this is helping old ladies across the road, whether they want to cross the road or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, it looks a bit like kindness, but it isn't. If the lady doesn't want to cross the road, then it's not. So it's, it's, it's about proceeding with care and caution, asking people how they would like to be helped or treated or what they need right now. And then as far as you can, helping them to do that. Um, and the same and, apply for self-kindness then, asking what you know. Well, I think, I think so. You have to look then listen to yourself. And it's actually rather hard. <laughs> yeah. It's easier to have someone ask you how you would like to be treated for you to kind of come into that realisation sometimes. It's a little bit like coaching yourself, which turns out to be much more difficult than it looks. And as a professional coach, I, I, I know this. I, mean, I know all the questions that I should ask myself. <laughs> but actually, to ask them of myself and make sense of them is hard work. It's much easier to get someone else to ask me them, even if I just write them on a piece of paper and give them to a complete stranger and say, please read out these questions and let me think about them. You know, uh, that is great. That works surprisingly well, actually, because the person is not trying to do your thinking for you. I'm and sure someone's designing an app for that now, an artificial <laughs> well, app. I don't know if it doesn't really like you can do it with apps, but I think having a warm person listening to you, even if they don't understand you, mm -hmm. even if they don't know you, it makes a surprising difference. Uh, and I was leading a solution focused coaching workshop with a group in Germany uh, two weeks ago, and uh, the, the group were like an organizational team. and um, I was fed up with the, tran I, it all had to be translated because they didn't speak that great English and I, my German's very limited. So I said, well, look, just, just you all answer this question and don't translate it because you're telling the answer for yourself and your colleagues, not for me. And they went round and they said, each said their thing in German. And I said, right, we've got that, let's move on. <laughs> and uh, it works surprisingly well. I don't need to hear it. When I ask a coaching question, I ask it so that the person, the coachee, they give their answer and they hear their answer. And why, why is it so difficult then for us to coach ourselves? I think we get sort of split loyalties or something. I think that, you know, we're, half of us is trying to keep track of the coaching model and half of us is trying to keep track of our answers. And it's actually much easier to hand the model piece over to somebody else, even if they don't, they're just reading questions from a, a sheet of paper, uh, in my experience. So, and it's giving yourself the space and the luxury to relax and the luxury to yeah. let go of everything and hand the responsibility for the next few minutes of conversation to somebody else. And you just be there in your own stuff your own thoughts, your own experience, your own realizations. 
Um, and, and those realizations come second by second, moment by moment, in my experience. Yeah. So, so you don't know at the beginning of a conversation after three minutes where it'll be yeah. and where you will be. But you have to let yourself the freedom to kind of go down that river or, or whatever metaphor you <laughs> want to take. Uh, and if you're... And if you're, you're letting go of the, you're floating down the river in a way you have to let go of the coaching model. And it's, it feels better to have somebody else kind of looking after that. Yes. Seems to me. Which could be an example of kindness then as well, to not try to do everything ourselves and, you know, to be helped, to be supported by others. Um, yes, that's a really interesting question. And it's a, that's a thing that I have used a lot in my work as a, teacher facilitator um, which is a, a, a saying I got from a guy called Dave Meyer who was a great hero and mentor of mine he did accelerated learning for business in the 80s 90s and noughties and he always said don't do for learners what they can do for themselves or each other I that's such a great maxim uh, if people can do something for themselves get them to do it if they can do it for each other that's even better um, and because you, you're getting them to support each other and learn together yes. and so on. Uh, um, and, and it feels to start with, it feels a bit like cheating <laughs> where because you, there's all this hard work that you perhaps could be doing. Yes. But actually, if you hand it over, you get a different relationship going. Um, and this is and what it gives you the mighty networks we were talking about this community i don't know how to it's a community online platform i think that's what that model is let people give the space to people to help each other and you know we don't have to go in there as the leader you know controlling everything answering all the questions doing well, everything absolutely and so mighty networks is a very interesting platform it was it's um you, it's out there now uh, it's uh, if you people haven't looked at it, you, you go and have a look at it. It's you people set up communities, and these communities are based around the idea of let's master something together. That's Mighty Networks is shtick, and the people who did Mighty Networks did Ning before it, I think. And Ning was kind of your own social network. That's how they branded it. But now they've realised that actually you need more of a purpose to get people to stick in a community. Yes. You need more of a purpose. So it's. So Mighty Networks is not just about a community, but it's a community that's learning to do something together. Yes. Um, and I think it's very interesting. I'm using it myself in Village in the City and the way that they let you put courses within the community. Yeah. Uh, it's working out really well for us so yeah. far. And I've just started. So we'll put the links for your village in the community on this podcast episode as well. And yeah. It's interesting synchronicity here about, you know, because I think actually I was also thinking about my work about kindness and I thought, you know, this is a, it, it, it's the kind of a perfect platform because it's about building the community and people serving kindness to themselves and to each other. Absolutely. So I think it sounds like a great, a great idea. Looking forward to exploring it myself. Yeah. So, um, I invited you to create a recipe for Philoxenia. I don't know what you'd like to call it. I wanted you to talk a little bit about kindness hosting or, you, you know, up to you totally, you know, if you could come up with a name and ingredients mm. and a method. Yeah. So 
it's a really interesting invitation to create this recipe. Uh, and what I've called it is Welcome Stranger. Nice. Because when we think about hosting these days, the first thing often we think about is hosting our friends. Yes. And we love to give parties and dinners and, and get people together uh, from our social circles or our families. Or, and these events are really important, you know, with Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever the, the event that you're bringing people together for. And so we think about hosting these days, often in the West anyway, as about hosting our friends. But the bigger picture of hosting back in the origins of humanity, as I was saying, is hosting strangers. The openness to host a stranger, to meet a stranger and be confident enough to invite them into your tent in the, in the desert or your house or whatever. Um, uh, which requires a certain amount of self-confidence. And I'm reminded always of the story from the Bible, from Genesis, one of the root stories of Christianity, Judaism and Islam, the story from the book of Genesis about Abraham uh, seeing the three strangers. Abraham is out in the desert in his tent with his wife and he sees these three strangers on the horizon coming towards him. And he rushes out saying, please, please come, come and have some food. Come and come and sit in the shelter of my tent. And uh, the strangers accept and they come along. And uh, of course, they turn out to be angels. Uh, and they're angels bearing very good news, in fact, that, uh, that Abraham's wife is going to have a uh, child, which they had no idea about. Uh, and this idea of greeting strangers and they turn into angels <laughs> is a really, really interesting and underthought one these days. Because all too often we treat strangers as people to be distrusted, to be avoided, to be pushed away, uh, to, be, uh, to be sent to the authorities you know, not to be yet got involved with. And it, right here in the United Kingdom at the moment, we're in the middle of a big controversy over refugees crossing the English Channel in small boats to get um, asylum and to uh, set up new lives. They want to start new lives here in England. And our politicians, who are in a particularly bad phase at the moment, are trying to keep them out. Uh, and our lifeboats... Uh, the life-saving uh, people, they're, they're rescuing these, uh, these poor strangers on these flimsy boats and bringing them to England. And then they're being criticised by some of the politicians for saving people's lives because they're strangers and we don't want them, we should push them back. This is shocking. This is appalling that we should be, have arrived at this point in 2021 where we want to push penniless strangers Back into the back into the sea, rather than welcome them, uh, and uh, this is this is not the act, in my view, of a global power. This is the act of a scared, impoverished, and hopeless community whose only apparent course of success is to keep everybody out. Yes, and this is, is this, this, is, this it, is not civilization, is it? No, no, it's not civilization, and 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 many people are appalled. And yet there is a certain sort of person who seems to think that this is the route to success, to keep the foreigners out. 
And of course, this is what led to Brexit and all the rest of the nonsense that we've been going through in the last few years. So this idea of welcoming strangers is deep in Christianity, it's deep in most, in all civilizations. Uh, and yet somehow we've arrived at a point in my country, which is the world's fifth biggest economy, if you measure it like that or something, where, where people want to push, push strangers back into the sea. Uh, and so welcoming the stranger is our duty, not only uh, as good citizens, but it's, the it's our duty as people who want to make a positive impact in the world. So my recipe is called Stranger. Mm -hmm. And what are the ingredients? So the ingredients are, the first thing you have to have is awareness. Uh, you have to have awareness about the situation of others. That's the first thing. And then you need a lot of open-heartedness because you cannot welcome a stranger without an open heart. Or if you do, it probably won't end very well. And this is the first thing. We have to open our hearts before we open the door. This is how that my host book concludes. This is a closing thought from that book, and I stand by it. Then you need a pinch of self-confidence. <laughs> um, because we, we, we must in some way have a grounding of ourselves before we can be interested in others. But it's only a pinch. It doesn't need to be too much. Um, then, we, then we need interest in the other. We need a kind of interest in who, who, who is this person? Who are these people? A curiosity. A curiosity, exactly. Thank you. And then finally, <laughs> a desire to be of help for at least a few moments. I like that, um, for a few moments. That's Because honestly, welcoming strangers is not an invitation to a lifelong relationship, mm -hmm. usually. Uh, very occasionally it might turn into one, but that's a, that's a whole other thing. Right? So welcoming strangers is not a kind of... Uh, uh, you know, invitation to get married to them or something but it's the idea is can we help them for a few moments and can I just ask you one question here about boundaries so I like how you say for a few moments because I'm very much for kindness and you know helping others and taking care of them but recently I've discovered about my own boundaries so how can mm -hmm. we also be protecting ourselves as well as we want to um, help other people well, I think this is where the pinch of self-confidence comes in. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the, the knowledge that you can extract yourself. Things turn out badly. You can extract yourself mm -hmm. from these situations. There are ways of finishing conversations. There are ways of moving away from people that are, do not involve uh, attacking them, belittling them or whatever. You can just disengage and move on. And there's all sorts of ways. If that happens, needs to happen, that can happen. But if you start from the idea that it's all going to be a disaster, you won't get anywhere. Yeah. You have to enter it in the spirit of, well, I might be able to be helpful here for a few moments. Yes, I like that. Uh, and and I, this is, you know, I'm keen with solution focus. I'm keen on small steps. Uh, and this is one version of a small step. It's think, not to think, how can I change this person's life? But to think, how can I be helpful for a few moments? 
That's okay. a start. So that's maybe like, you'll change Maybe that's the method then, step one. How can I be helpful for a few moments? And then... Absolutely. So, so my method is, is look out for people who may welcome hospitality connection mm -hmm. and start with a question. Mm -hmm. And that question might be, can I help you? Mm -hmm. Which is what people used to do. But they, but, and, and they really meant it. Whereas people say, can I help you in a shop? That's a sort of, that's a very formularized, commercialized hospitality. That's not real. <laughs> that's not real asking. It's, it's starting with a question that seems to connect with what you can see. Yeah. Um, so for awareness. example, I, Which yeah, absolutely. So it's not, it's not just a formula. I, I came across a couple of ladies uh, here in Edinburgh, um, sort of standing, looking lost um a, a couple of weeks ago and they had the mobile phones out and they were kind of you know doing the thing where you're looking at the phone <laughs> and you're looking at the surroundings and you're looking at the phone again and none of it seems to connect and so I just said ladies are you are you looking for something and they said yes we're looking for this street because because the, that's where our hotel is and we can't find it and I said that's all right I know where it is it's not easy to find I'm going that way myself would you like to come along I'll take you and we walked for about three minutes and found the street. They were up for a weekend from a, a city, another city in the UK. We had a nice chat. I was able to show them their hotel and that was it. Um, so start with the question. And this is what I talked about, being kind on other people's terms, right? which I mentioned at the beginning, not yeah. on your terms. Don't assume you know what they want. Now, you may have an idea, in which case you can phrase your question around it. But, but it's good to be open to what people want and where they are right now. Um, and be interested in them. That's the first thing. Be interested in the other people. Uh, uh, and not, not trying to show yourself off. Oh, look at me. Aren't I being generous by helping you? No, that's yeah. wrong, of course. Uh, it's be interested in the other people. This is the oldest self-help advice in the world. As far as I know, it's the opening lines of, how to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, which is nearly 100 years old. And it starts off, if you want other people to be interested in you, you have to be interested in them. And it's fine advice. And it was then and it still is. And, and you don't want them here to be interested in you, but, but by you being interested in them, you start to find out how you can help them. Yes. And then if, and then if, if they seem to be a bit at sixes and sevens, there's a real fundamental in humanity, which is refreshment. And this is why if you visit the nomads in the desert, you get tea, usually, mint tea. Um, so offer people a, a drink, you know, not alcohol probably, but uh, you know, a drink to refresh, a little bit of food, a rest, somewhere to go, poof, somewhere to sit, um, somewhere to take stock, somewhere to kind of have a little breather from the travails of life for a moment and not, people will not always say I don't I want to drink but you can tell and then you can gently offer and isn't this people a lot of us they do, people just want to be seen even for a second you know 
be seen. Yes, and, and of course, this is what doesn't happen. People are hustling by in a, in a city environment, particularly. People are hustling by. They've got things to do. There's all sorts of un undesirables out there, probably, mm -hmm. and they think that. Um, and people want to be seen, exactly. And this is why I think <laughs> hospitality cultures uh, seem to survive better to me in rural areas. Um, because there's uh, less and people and you can see... fewer people and you're, and, you, and you're a bit less... There are, in a city, there are always strangers, right? But in a, in a village somewhere, a remote one, there aren't so many strangers, probably. Um, and the people there, they're on their own territory. They feel confident on their own territory. So it's maybe easier to engage with a stranger if you feel confident about your, this is your place because you can welcome them to it. Yeah, and sometimes... Welcoming people to the place is important. Yeah, and some people, they say, you know, they find it easier to talk to strangers, some people. Some people end up telling them their life story. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> why? Well, almost certainly the strangers won't have heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good advantage. Yeah, yeah it's different. I think talking to strangers, you can begin at the beginning. Yes. Um, uh, so I, my recipe is about don't be afraid of offering them a, a, a bit of a, a refreshment, and then help them in the moment, and and help look to help them on their journeys. You know, so the, your the, your help is not the objective of their lives, obviously. You know, you're a little respite or a little helpful moment along their journey, wherever that might be. And so then you can ask once you've, this is the, the nomadic way and it's a good way overall, which is once you've got them some tea or the equivalent, a little refreshment, a little sit down, a little, you know, mop your brow, say, well, where are you going? What's your, what's your journey? What are your hopes? And then maybe you think about how you can help them the, along the next little bit. Again, not help them to the destination, but how can you help along the next little bit? This is the desire to be of help for a few minutes. Um, and this might last a few moments, a moment, it might last an hour, it might be longer. However long it lasts is okay. Um, and this, this surprising thing is that people remember these events. Yes. We have a radio program here in the UK on a Saturday morning and they have a little thank you slot and people are invited to phone in and, and thank people who, who helped them, who they weren't able to thank at the time and they don't know who they were. And there are folk every week, there are people ringing in and say, this, this kind man in a car uh, in 1986, <laughs> he stopped and I was struggling with my children and my push chairs and my shopping and he stopped and and he took me to where I was wanted to go and he wouldn't have any money for it. And uh, I, he's made such a difference. I want to say thank you to him, whoever he is. Uh, and it's not unusual for these things to be decades ago. And it's someone who's helped out for a few moments, often in a time of stress or crisis, to be sure. But people have held this gratitude for decades and they continue to do so. So there's no way of knowing, yeah. as you do this, how much difference it will make. And, and it's a real opportunity for people to serve kindness. It only takes a minute. It's not, you know, some big grand act. You talk exactly. about awareness, exactly. to look around, to see somebody maybe a little bit unusual, they're struggling, asking them, how can, how can I help you? What do you need? 
it's, it's a chance for people to have a conversation, I think, as well, in person. We're not having so many conversations, I think, in person now with COVID. Yes, so. exactly. And that we have this wonderful uh, online communication. Like you and I are speaking now online and you're in Greece and I'm in Scotland. Uh, and it's amazing. It's marvellous. It's wonderful. And I think we need to counterbalance it yes. by having also more face-to-face conversations, probably in our neighbourhoods. Um, because when I talk to people online, I end up talking to people like you, I think. We share a lot of ideas, and we share a lot of interests, and we share outlooks. Um, and it's great to talk with other people who share your outlooks and positions. But also it's important to talk to people who perhaps don't. And we have a lot of divisiveness in the world at the moment. Um, and the way to have those conversations is not to get online and argue with people, which is there are lots of opportunities to do, but it's just to gently have conversations with people in your street, in your stair. And you don't talk about the divisive things. You talk about the weather, the football here, here in, in the UK. You talk about the, you know, um, the new restaurant that's opening up. You talk about how late the bus is. You talk about the things that matter in your community. And maybe in the end, you'll get onto the other things. But that's how to connect with people. You may not have anything in common with them about politics or, or whatever, but you, you have in common that you share the same few square yards of, of ground that you've chosen to live in. And that's enough for a great conversation, in my view. This is what Village in the City is about, trying to encourage people to have face-to-face -face conversations with people in our own streets and our own neighbourhoods. And part of the reason is to address this kind of divisiveness that we see in the world these days in a gentle way, a gentle and kind way. And this village in the, what is it? Village in the street? Village in the city. Village in the city. Is this um, something that uh, people can use from any location in the UK? Absolutely, yes. We're, we're encouraging people to build micro-local communities worldwide. Oh. which seems a bit like a, a paradox but we have people I just ran the first village builders course and we had people from four continents on it uh, it's an online so course you're, you're applying a lot of what you've learned then into yeah. sharing this now in this mighty network that you're creating for the global for for you're putting it there for other people to get on and start using this stuff yeah. yes absolutely so this 20 years of learning about hosting Hmm. Uh, and bringing people together in a good way and community development is precisely about that because you have no formal authority probably <laughs> to bring people together in your community but but you don't need formal authority if you're bringing them together for a good thing uh, in an encouraging way that helps people use their gifts skills and passions uh, and helps you all play your part in making your neighborhood a bit better Great. I think that's a perfect recipe. It doesn't need to be complicated. It seems to be quite simple, something we were doing before quite often. And uh, I think it's going back to basics. And also, uh, I like what you talk about, you know, let's use technology for what it's useful, but not all the time. And yes. Um, yes, some of what I've seen with COVID is, you know, that some of the local shops have been doing better which is quite good mm. in the small community so people have been yeah. trying to support their local cafes and high street 
And actually, you know, they're starting to see more of the people, I think, around their local area before they were going out into the cities and didn't really know their own area so well. This is exactly right. And so the people are saving, people are working from home a lot here. Mm -hmm. They're not commuting. Uh, so they now have, uh, rather than an hour each way on the train, they have an hour each way that they could be spending in their community. And because they go to their local coffee shop, not the chain coffee shop yes. in the centre of the city, you know, again, this is helping the neighbourhood. And, and so there are, for the suburban centres, and I think they are centres, you know, uh, uh, this COVID has been, I think, potentially rather a good thing. And I'm very keen to help build on that. And it also encouraged people, the commuters who used to commute, to use the skills they may have learned in the office to bring them to bear in a slightly different way on their own neighbourhoods and communities, because those places can use the kind of skills that managers, creative people, administrators, uh, people who do office jobs, uh, uh, have useful things to bring to their communities. Yeah, so they, it's a way of, you know, sharing and connecting and as human beings we all have this need to connect and you know Absolutely. loneliness and other things the increase in loneliness and isolation i'd say that this is a recipe for people to perhaps Absolutely. look at somebody as well who's looking a little bit lonely and just saying are you okay and not being yeah. afraid exactly exactly that's very much the start of it mm -hmm. Uh, and the idea of um, get it, it's not a zero-sum game, this. Kind, kindness is not a zero-sum game. You know this, but I'm just going to say it anyway so the listeners can hear it. It's not, kindness is not like money where I, I give you a dollar, you have a dollar more, but I have a dollar less. Kind, if I give you kindness, we both benefit. Yeah. And also I, the people that witness it. So there's a ripple effect. It certainly, certainly. And so this is why building communities, micro-local communities, a few, a few streets maybe, or a block or two, is so powerful because not only do the people who are building it feel better, but the, pe the people in the neighbourhood feel better as well. It's and less lonely, thing. a bit more connected. They know yeah. who the neighbours are. They Maybe they do join with some passion, interest that they have. And That's it. And, and people come together in all sorts of ways. And this is the root of uh, health, uh, well-being, uh, care, security, safety. All these things come from having neighbourhood connections. Yeah, and uh, I would say it turns out that there is it's vulnerability as well, you know, at, we think we don't need help, but we all need help at some point in our life. Well, and, and we can all offer help too. Yes. And if you're lucky enough not to need right now, that's great, but then maybe, maybe somebody else does. And maybe you're the person to, to offer it. And, and there's so much research piling up now that says that um, people who live in connected communities, they live longer, they're healthier, uh, they they suffer less from things like dementia. Uh, they feel more confident about about that they they can rely on their neighbours if they need to. Uh, and this is all this is not a matter of money. It's it's a matter of humanity, uh, and 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 connecting and kindness it doesn't cost a lot to do these things, but it costs a little effort in terms of 
putting yourself at the service of others. Yes, and if people are not used to it, that's okay. Um, you know, it, you're saying it's, it only takes a moment, it takes practice. So nobody mm. needs to be perfect, you know. We just need to look around and see what's And we, we get better at it as we start. Yes. The thing is to start. <laughs> we can all get better. We can all learn more about it. Yeah, mm. and I would say that this recipe, some of these skills that people learn, they can take it into whatever relationships they go into at home, in the workplace. It, it's, yes. it's a simple thing, but actually really listening, paying attention, looking and seeing, we've, we've, we're in a distracted world. So it's an opportunity for helping us to just be present. Be present uh, just for a minute or two. Yeah. As I say, I come back to this thing, help people for a moment. Yeah. Like rather than uh, assuming you have to help them for, for, for a lifetime. You don't. <laughs> you almost certainly will. Yeah. So thank <laughs> you so much, Mark, for your time. Um, I will share your Mighty Network link in this podcast episode. So if people want to join and um, are interested in learning and building their um, communities local to them. You say it's in the UK mm. and uh, in some parts of the rest of the world. So um, I'm, I'm anyone's really welcome. welcome. Anyone's welcome. Mm -hmm. Which is welcoming the stranger and Philoxenia. So this is the perfect way to end our episode. Um, thank you so much. Um, sit with us and deepen your understanding of kindness and increasing your wisdom to be kinder to yourself and others. Share with others as an act of intentional kindness and see you again soon.